Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Paragons of Earth, the exciting new superhero comic I'm working on with Thomas DJ and Eric Johns. For this comic, we've unearthed a number of obscure and forgotten Golden Age superheroes, plucked them from the depths of the public domain, and completely redesigned and reinvented them for the modern day. It's an exciting cast of characters, and we're throwing them up against the threat of a Lovecraftian apocalypse. It's got action, it's got drama, it's got alternate dimensions and alien worlds, and it's even got a giant shark in a Hawaiian shirt. What else could you want? But in order to make this comic a reality, we need your help. The comic is crowdfunding now, and you can help support it by going to crowdfunder.com slash paragonscomic. That's crowdfunder, without the E, dot com slash paragonscomic. You'll be able to find that link in the show notes, so please double check if you didn't quite get it. Please help make this comic a reality. We are counting on your support. And now, on with the show. to talk about it? Why? The elephant in the room. What elephant? I guess nothing. You're referring to today. Yeah, what's the deal with today? We all make mistakes. For example, you kids were supposed to watch Jack-Jack. Babysitting. Well, you guys did the important stuff. We talked about this. You're not old enough to decide about these things. We are old enough to help out. Yeah! Isn't that what you tell us, Dad? Yeah, well, help out can mean many different things. But we're supposed to help if there's trouble. Well, yeah, Aren't you glad we helped today? Yeah, I know, but... You said that you were proud of well, us. Well, yeah, I was. And... We want to fight bad guys! I never see bad guys! No, you don't. You said things were different now. And they were. On the island. But I didn't mean that from now so on... So now we've got to go back to never using our power. It defines who I am. We're not saying you have... What? Someone on TV said it. Can, can we just eat the dinner while it's hot? Did we do something wrong? Yes. No. We didn't do anything wrong. Superheroes are illegal. Whether it's fair or not, that's the law. The law should be fair. What are we teaching our kids? To respect the law. Even when the law is disrespectful? If laws are unjust, there are laws to change them. Otherwise, it's chaos. Which is exactly what we have. I just thought it was kind of cool. What was? Fighting crime. As a family. It was cool. But it's over. The world is what it is. We have to adapt. Are things bad? Things are fine. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and I'm welcoming a new guest today, and that is Connor Burke. Connor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Perry. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so why don't you tell uh, the audience a little bit about yourself? Who are you? What do you do? All that kind of fun stuff. Sure. So uh, I'm Connor. I'm one of the co-hosts of a movie podcast called No Highway Option, where, you know, there are so many movie podcasts out there. We decided to go with a no one's used as of yet, where we compare every movie to Vin Diesel's The Pacifier from 2005. Uh, you know, just just for fun, because it's such a strange movie. Um, it's yeah, it's a lot of fun, and I've been enjoying you know watching movies and discussing them for years. <laughs> That's an interesting approach. How did you guys choose that movie out of all of them to come up with? 
It just, I think in college, it was referenced briefly once, and then my co-host Luke was like, oh yeah, I know that. And we were like, oh, cool. Someone else knows this weird nonsense movie. And then we, and then it came on Disney Plus, and we were looking for some way to start some kind of podcast. And I was like, this thing's weird enough that like, maybe this should be the basis of it. And it evolved from there. Very interesting. <laughs> uh, so how long have you guys been doing the show? Uh, we've been doing it. We started it in the pandemic. So like technically three years, we took the last year off and our, we just recently came back with like a bit of a new format and just trying to keep it going again. Well, welcome back. I'm glad uh, you're able to make it back into the podcast realm. A bunch of people uh, did kind of the same thing where they they started up in the pandemic. And then after lockdowns ended, it just the podcasting just kind of faded into the background, unfortunately. So uh, it's good to see that uh, some people have stuck with it, though. Yeah. Yeah. No, there are more than a few guests who we had on for like multiple episodes during the pandemic, where when we started back up, we reached back out like, hey, how have you been? And then we get an email back that's like, this email has been terminated and no one will ever read these again. It's like, oh, I don't know what happened there, but OK. Yeah, I, I've had a few of those um, where, you know, been talking to guests, you know, we spoke back and forth or potential guests and mm -hmm. just just disappeared and <laughs> never heard anything from them again. Yeah, you, you always hope they're doing well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, hopefully it was just they got bored with it and they moved on to something else as opposed to something more tragic. Um, yeah, exactly. This is obviously a superhero movie podcast. So what is your history with uh, superheroes, either movies, comics, anything like that? I mean, I've lo I've like really been a fan of superheroes and just the general medium, I guess. Since I was about maybe six years old, because that's when the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man came out for me. And it was oh, like okay. my first thirteen movie. And I saw the marketing and was like, this guy is cool. And so then I would go to the library and I found the comic section. They had like all the like omnibus collections of the 60s and 70s comics for like Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Hulk. And I would devour those. And it's just. You know, it's always stuck with me. It's a fun, it's a fun genre. It's easy to pick a favorite, and like you know, that's they're always coming out now, so it's a thing to always keep up with. Mm -hmm. Have you uh, kept up with the comics and and the like since you uh, first started reading them, and when you when you first got into Spider Man? A little less. It's definitely been more movie focused recently, but. Mm -hmm. With a lot of the big releases that came out, I would jump back into the comics at least to read there, uh, like to look at those storylines and be like, okay, how could these compare? The biggest time mm -hmm. I did that was for Infinity War, like when they first announced, oh, we're doing the two part Infinity War saga. I like read the original Infinity Gauntlet run and was like, okay, maybe this will be how it works. And then my friend saw it like the night before I did. And he put on my Facebook wall, a thing that was like, haha spoilers without context. And one of the <laughs> last images was someone snapping their finger. And I was like, that's just mean. And he's like, how am I supposed to know that you knew what was going to happen? I'm like, you know, I read the books. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that it's first off, they got the title infinity war, although that's a completely unrelated story. Right. And yeah. 
the whole movie is basically the the Thanos quest storyline and then um and then the very opening page of Infinity Gauntlet is what they use as the mm-hmm. ender of that movie. Yeah, it it was a lot and it was like, oh, okay, they're doing it, I guess. I I guess I'm emotionally prepared now, but whew. That was a that was a that was a moment cuz I remember seeing that movie in the theater and I just, you know, logically thinking about it, I had expected it to come. So mm-hmm. so I wasn't surprised when it happened, but everybody else in the theater was not expecting it. So it was just like, it was just completely silent. And <clears throat> I live in Japan where normally there aren't any reactions at all. But in the, when the credits started rolling, I heard some people being like, wait, what? Oh no. <laughs> That's the <laughs> biggest one was I was working at Disney world at the time. And mm-hmm. a lot of my roommates had off and they went to like the big opening night thing. And I had just finished my shift at the magic kingdom and i came back and everyone was just like staring at the floor like just depressed and of course i was like oh how was the movie guys like trying to jokingly put on the brightest face i could and they're like i don't know (laughs) i don't know what to tell you about it man it's it's really messed up i'm like oh cool so spider-man dies and then i watched it i was like oh i hate that i was right i was kidding (laughs) Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. There was uh, there was some that definitely surprised me. I mean, I knew they were all coming back in the next movie, but it was right. funny to see like the reaction when people are like, wait, wait, wait. They just ha- came out with a Spider-Man movie and a Black Panther movie, and they're dead now? What What's going on? And I was like, they'll be back. They'll be back. It's okay. It happened in the we're comics. We're supposed to be in a Spider-Man movie next year, and now he's <laughs> got like, who's he going to be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the spider-man stuff recently has gotten me back into like trying to find some of the new runs of the comics especially seeing all the variants in across the spider-verse like i picked up mm-hmm. a spider-punk collection as soon as that movie ended because i was like this guy rules yeah yeah i loved what they did with spider-punk in, in that movie oh, uh, he's, I, he's incredible I, yeah i was so glad i got to see it because i um I was late to the game on that because, you know, like I said, I live in Japan. So usually when mm-hmm. Western animated movies come out in theaters here, they only come out with the dubbed version. They don't come out with the subtitled version like most of the live action movies do. So okay. I would have to wait until it came out on video. And um, we we're actually flying back from the States. And fortunately, it was one of the choices that was on the plane on the way back. So I made sure to oh, watch that perfect. and and fight the jet lag so I could stay up for the whole movie. Mm hmm. Um, but anyway, so another thing I would like to ask new guests is what kind of thing are in, are they into lately? So what what kind of stuff is kind of grabbing your attention these days? It could be books, movies, comics, video games, whatever it might be, superhero related or not. What's kind of grabbing your interest these days? I mean, superhero related to keep it on Spider-Man, I guess. I've been frothing at the mouth for the Spider-Man 2 video game and like just pouring over all of the details of the previews for that. Like that's almost been a show in itself. <laughs> uh, yeah, I Sorry, go ahead. No, continue. I was just going to say that I um cuz I don't have a PS5 yet. I I'm still just working off the PS4, but and mm-hmm. I just recorded a, our episode on Superman 2 yesterday with with our guest there. And we were talking a little bit about about gaming and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, there's the 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 Spider-Man 2 game. There's the the Wolverine game that's been announced, but nothing else since that announcement yeah. trailer. Uh, Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth. There's um, 
the the Jedi Outcast game. I think um, uh, my guest mm-hmm. yesterday was talking uh, about. There's a lot of like good, especially like from Geek Property stuff coming out on the PlayStation. I had mm-hmm. been a Nintendo kid my entire life, like. And then one day I just had the money and saw a thing where it was like, you're guaranteed to get it from Walmart if you like log on on this day. And I was like, you know what? They have the two Spider-Man games like they have the Miles Morales thing. I'm going to bite the bullet and buy a PS5. Like what could go wrong? And the like the Spider-Man game and the Miles Morales expansion pack are so much fun and like just made me so excited and now to see that you can be both of them and venom's gonna be there i'm like this Mm -hmm. is i i'm so excited yeah i keep periodically i will start up the spider-man on on the ps2 and just swing through new Mm -hmm. york it's just unbelievably satisfying to do that um and i i I won't do any missions or anything i'll just you know start it up and i'll just go web swinging throughout the entire map (laughs) yeah just find a little crime and then you go oh okay i guess and then move yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I am I so I told my wife I I'd done a back to back viewing of the the latest one of the latest Spider Man two trailers and then the uh mm-hmm. the the re, the Final Fantasy Seven Rebirth trailer, and I'm just like, Okay, I have got to get a PS five <laughs> in the next year. It's it's like becoming non negotiable like, now. You like presented those two trailers on a slideshow being like, This is why I need this. <laughs> well, it's funny when um when uh, when she was pregnant with both with both our both our kids, um, I we mm-hmm. were setting up the the baby registry, and I said to her, "I'm like, can we put a PS5 on there?" And she's like, "No, you can't put a PS5 on the baby <laughs> registry." I'm like, "Well, why not? I mean, you know, the kids up at night. We gotta, you know, once you put them to sleep, you're kind of up or you're way. So you gotta have something to occupy your time. And you know, when they get older, they'll want to play it too." <laughs> um, I mean, but that's I was not logic. able to convince her. <laughs> it was logical, oh. but I was not able to convince her, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah oh god i'm so looking forward to to getting those at some point and hopefully finding the time mm-hmm. my kids are hopefully going to be starting preschool in the spring so i'll have a little bit more free time as well just a little bit of free time yeah yeah then, it's yeah. tough because i do speaking of games i have um i recently got uh the man eater game for, on the ps4 it's the where you you play as like this evolving shark and it's okay. fun oh, right. but it's also yeah, yeah. It's fun, but it's also kind of monotonous because it takes you a long ass time to level up and it takes a lot of grinding. Mm-hmm. I feel like and... that's the I don't know if it's a problem, but like that's what I've noticed going from like the simple Nintendo like side scrolling Mario stuff to like the big AAA games yeah. is just there's it's so much time to like fully get into the game. And, like, there's so much story to go through. And, like, it's great. It's, like, paced well. But I am so used to, like, pick up the thing, play it for 20 minutes, you beat four levels, you feel accomplished. Mm -hmm. And now it's, like, you play for 20 minutes and you're three steps closer to the goal, but not quite there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I've I've complained about this a lot because, you know, now that I get older, now that I have kids, my gaming time is severely limited. So it's not like when I was in my 20s. And I could sit there playing all night. <laughs> so <laughs> usually it's like maybe I'll have 30 minutes or an hour at the most to, to sit and play a game. And mm-hmm. with how long the grinding takes and all that, I'm just kind of like, yeah. I, and these days I will start gravitating towards either something familiar or something that's a lot simpler. So I definitely get that right. feel sometimes. 
which is why I do appreciate when they do have like cheat codes or, or stuff like that. I'm like, okay, no, now I can just, you know, use the cheat code. I could have max level and just have fun for like 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Just skip forward and have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, today we're talking about the Incredibles two. Now, uh, funny scheduling thing. We had arranged for someone to come on to discuss the Incredibles, but, because of scheduling issues and all that, we're actually not recording that episode until like next month or something like that. So you're going to have to wait for us to talk about Incredibles 1. Uh, instead, we'll be talking about just Incredibles 2 today. So let's kind of talk a little bit about uh, our history with The Incredibles. Uh, when did you discover these movies? I mean, Incredibles specifically, I think it was it was when it first came out. Like I was nine years old. Uh, my sister saw it in the theaters, but she went with a friend. I didn't see it. And, like, my parents had no interest in it. So I think we first watched it in school or, like, just rented it on a random DVD. And it's, I mean, to spoilers for your next episode in a couple months, <laughs> but, like, it's The Incredibles. It's fantastic. And it's always, like, stuck in the back of my mind as, like, not quite the gold standard for animated movies, but it's, it's, or, I mean, Western CGI specifically Pixar animation, but like it's up there. It's mm. a really well done story and everyone always wanted that sequel. And I remember when this was initially announced, it was like shot to the top of everyone's like, this is going, this has to be the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See me, I came to the Incredibles really late. I mean, it came out in, mm -hmm. uh, so I'm looking at 2004. So I was in, I was in university when that first one came out. And, you know, yep. at that point I had no interest in, um, Western animated movies. I felt like, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I had fond memories of toy story and all that. So I knew that Pixar could make good stuff, but I never saw any, mm -hmm. I never, I missed like that whole Pixar boat that happened in like the early two thousands when they were like at like the top of their game. Um, right. So I never saw a lot of those movies that everybody talked about, like Wally -E and and so on and so forth. And even huh. me being a superhero fan, I just kind of like you know I kind of slept on The Incredibles, and I had heard mm. about it nonstop for like ten years. Everybody talking about how great the movie is, um, how it's like the best Fantastic Four movie that's not a Fantastic Four no. movie, and that was like <clears throat> the joke years of like oh rank all the fantastic four movies incredibles was always number one yeah exactly yeah so i'd heard all this stuff about it and it wasn't until like you know 10 or 12 years later it was a while after that i, I i'm not sure if i'm pretty sure it was before incredibles 2 came out um and mm -hmm. so then i finally saw it and i'm like oh and you don't you know how it is when you've heard this built up for years and you finally see it and you're just like that's it um oh, that okay. was not that was not the case with the Incredibles. Like this is one of the few exceptions where it's been built up so much by so many people. And I go and I sit and I watch it and I'm like, it's not going to be as good as everybody says. And I'm expecting to be disappointed and it finishes. And I'm just like, Oh my God, that was really yeah. freaking good. The first one, it really hits as like, mm -hmm. and like, there's the whole, you know, stigma with animation and how people think it's only for children. But like, as a family-oriented movie, like, it goes to some slightly darker places, and, like, it mm -hmm. hits as just a quality family drama with superhero and fun little elements. Yeah, yeah, it had a lot of really interesting ideas in it. Um, it obviously looked incredible. The The characters mm -hmm. were, were great. The Everything about it was... And it even works... It, and it works on two levels. Like, at one, 
it is like, you know, just a classic, you know, feels like a classic superhero story that you get in like, you know, the Bronze Age comics. But in addition to that, it is also kind of like a satire of superheroes as well. It's got that aspect of it, too. So it works on both those levels. Yeah. And it really and it does the family of superhero things really well, because like there's Mm -hmm. been other media properties that try to do that. And they always kind of go off of the Incredibles thing of like, okay, let's look at what is the dad's like archetype in most things. He has to be the strong one. The mom has to take all the kids everywhere. So she has to be flexible. The teenager Mm. wants to be invisible. The kid has all the energy and like other things have tried that. And it just, it doesn't hit as right as this because, because of how well-written and interesting the characters in the world are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At least in the first Incredibles. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And so, what about Incredibles 2? Did you, uh, I mean, since you were a fan of the first one, was this one that you saw like right out the gate when it came out? Yeah. Uh, so I think it's because like when I was a kid and like Toy Story came out the year I was born, I've always felt like kind of a connection to Pixar. So I've, I always try to see their stuff like as soon as it opens in the theaters. Mm-hmm. And like I'm always checking out and being like, what's coming next? Do I agree or disagree with some of their choices? So yeah, this one, I think I saw it twice in the opening weekend mm-hmm. uh, because the first time was just a bunch of coworkers were like, oh, let's go see it. Like, it's out. That's cool. And then uh, my girlfriend at the time, we, it was my birthday, so we were just out doing stuff. And she was like, you already saw Incredibles too," And I was like, yeah, but if you want to see it, like, I'll see it a second time. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. Okay, it was uh, so my to to finally catch it, and then I don't know. Uh, upon rewatches, <laughs> I have thoughts about it. Okay, all right, we can talk about that because <clears throat> I had no experience with this movie. Like my first time watching it was last night in preparation for uh, for this episode. Um, it's mm. one of those movies that you know when I signed up for Disney Plus, I added it to my uh, to my list, and so it's always been on the list there. But it's just it's just one of those things that I just never got around to watching, and. Right. Um, so I, and it's been a while. Also, it's been a while since I've seen the first Incredibles, so I don't have it very fresh in my mind. It's been like at least, mm-hmm. at least a few years since I saw that first Incredibles movie. So, um, so I don't. Most of my memories of that first one have kind of faded, so I don't have as much of a comparison to it. But I really dug it. I thought this was a very strong sequel. I thought it had some really interesting ideas. Um, it it played with and especially me now being a father having two toddlers i could so relate to what um to what bob goes through when he's trying to take care of the in fact the funny thing when he's when jack jack keeps waking up every every few minutes or something like that that has happened to me with my son so much in fact just like oh, no. the other night that was my son he would just like wake up nonstop and he would just have like all this energy and just at like two o'clock two three o'clock in the morning he's up and he wants to run around and i'm (laughs) and i'm just lying there on the couch trying to get him to fall asleep and i'm falling asleep as he's still running around playing so i completely sympathize with bob in that scene (laughs) yeah i mean it's that's completely understandable i i still like this movie i think it's solid but I think having The Incredibles, the first one, as such a comparison point, and this, I think it does have a lot of interesting ideas, but then it mm-hmm. kind of 
doesn't go as far as I would want it to with them and just like has ideas that are out on the table and you go, okay, what's going to happen next? And then it's like, oh, you know, they save the day, whatever. We're moving mm-hmm. on. Yeah, I I can see that, especially if, you know, if you watch The Incredibles at, you know, and if it, it had such an impact on you back then, mm-hmm. I mean, because this is this is a long gap between movies like Incredibles came out 2004. This came out in 2018, right? It's over it's over 10 years after it was, uh, and, 14 years. Yeah. So like if you if you had that attention, the Incredibles and you've been waiting for that sequel for <laughs> all those years, you know, over a decade and then you see this and that's a lot to that's a lot of expectation built up. Yeah, and like it's not like it's bad, but I feel like whenever it comes up just in conversation, I go like, oh yeah, Incredibles 2, it's whatever. And then like mm. I rewatched it for this, and I was like, oh no, it's still good, mm. but it just doesn't rank up. And also with the production of it, uh, after the director Brad Bird had the insane run that he had of like The Incredibles, Ratatouille, Mission Impossible, uh, mm. Ghost Protocol, and then Tomorrowland, which has its problems but i enjoyed he Mm. was he would always say like i will not make incredibles 2 until i come up with the perfect story for it Mm. like it has to be it does like i don't want it to be like the same thing as the first one it needs to be like the perfect evolution it can't just be a slapdash sequel Mm. and then tomorrowland bombed at the box office and he coincidentally announced like i think i have the perfect story and then you watch Mm. it and you're like Oh, Mr. Mom is the perfect story? That's what you were hyping <laughs> us up for for 10 plus years? Like, okay. I guess. I mean, I can I can see him thinking that, especially, again, coming from that perspective of, of having a father, because right. the, the first one dealt so much with, like, you know, I hate my job, and, you know, it's like, I, mm-hmm. I wish I was young again, so it's, you know, it's very much like, you know, standard midlife crisis stuff. And this deals with another aspect of it, where it's just like, you know, having to take on different roles in the family. And so I could relate a lot to it on that level. And I'm not sure what Brad Bird's background is. I'm not sure if he's if he's got a family or if any of that played into him. He does. Yes, because because, you know, and I'm not sure when he had that family too. Cause that also might've affected why he felt like this was the story, you know, kind of like Kevin Smith, how mm-hmm. he, he only made clerks two after he had had this, had these experiences and he felt like he was in the right place to make clerks two. And the same thing with clerks three, like they were very personal stories based on his own life and his own experiences. Um, right. And I, I'm not sure if it was the same thing for Brad bird, but I could definitely see that and see that kind of thinking going into this. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's I I feel like I'm coming off as super negative about it when like I still enjoy it. And, no, I like, can understand. I think, I think his Sorry, personal experiences do play into it a lot. Like it does it doesn't feel as personal as the original, but there's still there's still an element of that there instead of if someone else had taken over and just made them go on another island adventure like they Mm -hmm. there is something and he does have something to say about uh our ironically our dependence on superheroes and the superhero cinematic universes which were huge at the time Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point i hadn't really considered that aspect of it but um 
but you're right. And I'm looking at the, the Wikipedia and he said that one of the challenges was how to deal with the fact that, you know, the market is flooded with superhero movies now. And he said that he wanted mm -hmm. to avoid tropes related to the superhero genre. I mean, I get what he's saying there, but I'm not so sure if he really succeeded in avoiding tropes because the, the whole idea of superheroes being mind controlled by a supervillain, I'm like, <laughs> that's like, you know, 50% of Chris Claremont's X-Men ideas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of, okay, we just had our big crossover issue. Uh, how do we get people back in now? Hmm. Mm. They're suddenly evil somehow. And yeah. And it introduces a bunch of, a couple new superheroes in that group that are all somewhat interesting. Like the portal one void is void, a really yeah. like every time she popped up, I was like, I want to see what they do with her. She see, she has a neat power set and like one that really would be cool to see with animation. And the few times she mm -hmm. does stuff, it's neat, but then it like, it has to focus on the family, which is of course, but that's one of the disappointments of like, you had this really neat idea and then you just walked away from it. Mm -hmm. Another thing, too, is I'm kind of questioning the the main plot here because, you know, the whole, you know, spoilers, right, for a movie that's um, mm -hmm. uh, several years old now. But uh, one of the things that I notice about it is I'm watching it. And again, granted, I've only seen it one time, so maybe this makes more sense on repeat viewings. But the whole thrust of the movie is so you've got this uh brother and and sister team of billionaires right you've got um mm -hmm. uh winston deaver and his Win sister evelyn and you know and it, it's kind of set up like especially because they got bob odenkirk playing it so coming right off of better call saul and um breaking bad so he kind of comes off as a bit smarmy in his voice pr presentation right. to begin with so so you are thinking right from the start like oh you know it's the evil billionaire trope he's gonna pretend to be um you know, the hero's friend, but then there's going to be some sort of twist or something like that is, mm -hmm. is what I was thinking throughout most of this movie. And, um, and in a way they do, and they, they invert that a little bit because instead it's Evelyn who, who's the villain and she's using the, she's, you know, been, she's the mysterious, uh, screen slaver villain. And she's been using mm -hmm. this technology to brainwash people and her. And so they both have, <clears throat> different interpretations of their father's death. Their father died in a, in a botch, in a burglary um, for Winston. He says the problem with their father's death was that the superheroes were outlawed. So he couldn't call for help when he tried to. Whereas Evelyn's like, no, the problem is that the public's relied on superheroes too much. If he had not tried to contact them, they would never have, if they just stayed in yeah, their room, like, if they had gone to the panic room, then they would have been fine. Room. Yeah. And so she so Winston wants to use this this summit to like, you know, bring new appeal to superheroes and get them mm -hmm. um, legalized again, where and Evelyn's plan is to sabotage that. And one of the things I was thinking of as I'm watching this movie, this seems like an incredibly complex plot for Evelyn to have when her brother is kind of a doofus and she could probably just kill him and make it look like an accident instead or just brainwash him instead. Yeah, I think I think the big thing is she doesn't want to be the public face of the company, and that would make mm. her that, essentially. She wants to work in the shadows. The The thing with Evelyn Dever's whole, like, arc, which, you know, it's neat that she's the twist villain, even though 
Evelyn Dever evil endeavors, like it's oh. kind of winking at you the whole time. Uh, is they set up so like at the end they try to be like, oh, she and Elastigirl were like becoming best friends and like they really agreed on a lot of stuff. And it's there a little bit, but it's really kind of done so fast that at the end, Evelyn's like, ah, oh, you know what stinks? I really liked you. It's like, oh, okay. I mm. I don't know if I could really tell that. I was too busy focusing on Jack-Jack nonsense. Mm. Yeah, I think that's another problem is I think they're trying to, there are too many balls they're trying to juggle in this movie. Um, so you've got the mm. whole thing with Evelyn and her relationship with um uh helen and then you've got bob being the stay-at-home dad you've got jack jack's new powers developing violet's whole thing with uh with this boy she's got a crush on who was brainwashed yeah and um so yeah i could yeah that definitely gets lost i in fact until you mentioned it it never even occurred to me that that was a uh that never it never stuck in my memory that that was a big plot point the fact that they were friends yeah, it like it they were trying to do it and there are moments where it's you know getting there a little bit but mm-hmm. it never really sticks and you're like oh okay like she's the twist villain but is it really a twist when she doesn't seem like she's into all this. Mhm. Yeah. So yeah, like, the the good performance still like Carrie Coon does a great job uh voicing her the the entire voice cast in this is fantastic. Yeah, uh or Catherine Keener, not Carrie Coon. Catherine Keener, I was going to say, yeah, I thought could have sworn it was Catherine Keener. Um, yeah, 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 and that's another thing I do want to talk about, too, is the voice actors they got for for these are great. Like, obviously, the ones from the first movie, right? We got Craig T. Nelson back, Holly Hunter, uh, Sarah Val. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we got Huckleberry Milner instead for Dash, uh, and Samuel L. Jackson, of course, is back. Uh, Brad Bird himself, again, back as Edna, which yep. I still think it's hilarious when I looked that up and I saw that he that he was the one who voiced Edna. But and you can then tell we he's also, just having so much fun. Yeah, yeah. But then we get, you know, again, as mentioned, Bob Odenkirk and Catherine Keener, both of them are great. Uh, mm-hmm. Jonathan Banks is a small part as um, the uh, as the FBI agent at the beginning of the, or government agent. I'm not sure if it's specifically <laughs> FBI. But um, yeah, it's some kind of government agency. He He's replacing an actor who passed away who was in a lot of Pixar stuff, so mm-hmm. it did mm-hmm. take a second to get used to, but he's still he still does a great job. Yeah, it says he replaced uh, Bud Lucky from the first film, um, who mm-hmm. died in 2018. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I, I, I didn't even remember um, that the, the character from Rick Decker from the first movie, so that did not strike stick out in my head at all. Um, but yeah, great you know spit part he has in there to come in as this fbi guy yep and then he goes <laughs> i'm out and you're like oh okay bye guy from the first movie who like mm-hmm. also wasn't in the first movie too much yeah yeah <clears throat> and um so yeah all the cast is, is great in here Catherine keener does do a good job as uh evelyn mm-hmm. but it just i i had trouble really connecting with her motivation and all that. Like when we were with dealing with the family stuff, I was super clued into this movie. I was, you know, I was right. paying attention. I was right. I was right in there with all of it. I love the stuff with, um, Elastigirl going on her own, like, you know, you know, solo hero career thing too. I like, mm-hmm. they, the, and another thing they do really well in both these movies, they find very creative uses for their powers. Like the idea of the Elastabike and how it separates while she's oh. stuck on both sides. Like it's, 
I'm not sure how practical it's, that it's, is, but it looks awesome. But like, yeah, and I can't believe that I've never seen anything else do that in anything of just like, mm-hmm. okay, we have a stretchy character and every superhero needs to have some kind of car for toy sales. So let's mm-hmm. make it split apart and like she's the rubber band holding it together and she does some neat flips with it and like that chase sequence is great. It is, yeah. In fact, it's funny, my my daughter almost never pays attention to movies. She's only she's only two and a half. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, so she's right. she's not quite yet at the age where she can really get into a movie and the story and all that. She's more clued into to, to music or to the visuals. So like, you know, when she, she loves Moana, she loves what and mostly for the songs more than anything else. And because mm-hmm. it's very colorful. But and most movies, when I watch, if she's in the room, she just kind of ignores them unless there's a song or something like that or something flashy. But when it came to that chase sequence, she was right there on the couch with me and she was like laughing and jumping all around the place. She was getting so into it. That's awesome. I mean, part of its visuals, part of it is Michael Giacchino's score because he is I mean, he's one of the masters. Like He's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, what are some other things that, that stuck out to you that, uh, so we mentioned the Evelyn thing. What are some other things that kind of takes it down a step for you in, in comparison to the first one? Oh, it takes it down a step. Um, or, it can I, be, or the opposite, if stuff that you really liked about it, either one. Yeah, it just, it just popped up because of the conversation about, uh, last girl going out on her own. I do really enjoy how more realistic than other family-oriented movies the bob and helen relationship is because Mm -hmm. bob doesn't like hide his professional jealousy from her in a way like he it's when it's her going out on her own like she recognizes that he's upset about that and he's able to express it while still being proud of her Mm -hmm. and i just i like that dynamic instead of him just like simmering and being quiet about like, oh no, you're, I'm so happy for you and only you. Like yeah, he's yeah. he's realistic about it, and I think that's great. And their relationship is, at, it is as realistic as it was in the first one. There's a little more goofiness with the Mister Mom stuff, but it mm. still really works. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think the the maturity that the relationships have mm. in, in in both these movies, like there's. It's totally understandable that, you know, he was this big superhero, so he'd naturally expect and it in his life is so committed to being a superhero, right? That's something that's so much a part of who he is and what he wants out of life is to is to be a superhero again. So when and and Helen, she, you know, back in, that was one of the big things in the first movie. She seemed fine with taking a step away from the superhero stuff. And even at the beginning of this movie, mm-hmm. when they're talking about it, and she brings, they have that whole discussion about the fact that superheroes are outlawed. We can't, we should not be doing this. And and then for um, for them them to get this offer, and they say, no, 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 we don't want Mister Incredible. We want Elastigirl to be the one who who goes out there. It's totally understandable that he would have some professional jealousy about that and he'd have some complicated feelings. Like you can be jealous of the fact that your your partner is having this success. It's something that you really want to do while also being proud of them. Like that those two things are pos- those are two thoughts that are possible to have at the same time. And I and they really show it off well and it is also interesting again it's an idea that they don't dig into too much but they don't really dig into it into the in the first one 
to the point that I forgot that it was a plot point about the superheroes being illegal mm-hmm. uh, and how if you want to go by like character alignment charts, uh, Helen is lawful good about it. Like superheroes are illegal. We can't do anything about it. And Bob is more neutral, chaotic, good about like, but if it's a law that's preventing people from being people, then it shouldn't be a law, which is an interesting thing to look at and think about. But, you know, for a hundred minute Disney Pixar movie might not be the thing to dive into. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I want to get I want to talk about that aspect of it, too, because there's, uh, there's some interesting parallels with that in stuff that's happening right now in America, at least. <clears throat> but mm. in a, in addition to that, there's the whole um, and just going back to the maturity of the relationship, I do love it when these when these movies or or these stories or the you know because it's on the comic books and tv as well when they when they treat the relationship with some degree of maturity they like one of the things that annoyed the crap out of me about spider-man 3 was how they portrayed mary jane in that movie and how you know she's having all this trouble with her career and she's trying to and she's struggling with it and peter is trying to help her and he's trying to explain to her he's like look i've been there i've had the public hate me i've had people write bad articles about me and he's like and then eventually things turned around he's trying to express to her that the same thing will happen to her and she's and she's getting pissed off at him about that and and it just got it got very old very fast and just having that kind of attitude and then i compare it to something like and, I, and I've used this example. I know I've used this example like a hundred times on this show, but I'm going to keep using it because it is one of the textbook examples I go to now. And that is Superman and Lois. First season of Superman and Lois. Okay. She um, she asked Clark to go cover this uh, town hall meeting because she's got to do some other investigative reporting stuff. So he goes, he's going to go there. and He says, yeah, I'll go there. I'll take notes for you and I'll, I'll, I'll record it and I'll get everything for you. He has an emergency as Superman. He has to go save some people, you know, stop some burgers. Or I can't remember exactly what it was, but whatever it was, he goes, does his Superman thing, and he misses the town hall. And later, when he talks to Lois about it, he tells her, he's like, I am so sorry. I was going to go, and then, you know, this this thing happened. I had to go there, and I couldn't get back in time. And she's like, look, I know you're Superman. I know that you were saving lives. Logically, I understand that you did what you had to do. But I'm still mad right. about it. Illogically, I know that's illogical, yeah. but it still stings, and I just got to deal with it. And I love that because it's it's it shows how you can handle this in a mature way, as opposed to what would be the stereotypical way would be Lois getting pissed off at Clark. He's like, "Well, you made a promise and you broke it." It's like, "Yeah, but he was saving lives, right?" So instead of yeah. doing it that way, Thank where right, and that. Yeah, she didn't storm off and go make apple pies with Perry White or whatever Mary Jane does <laughs> yeah. with uh, Harry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, and I, I, I was thinking about that scene as I'm watching this movie because, you know, obviously Bob is upset and that makes total sense. And mm-hmm. But still, he is mature enough and he loves his wife and so he knows that he's going to take a step back. He's going to try to let her have her moment in the sun, even though it stinks. And I thought that was great. I thought that was very well handled. Is also like I was going to say, especially with the between the Superman and Lois and Spider-Man three examples of like, oh, that's part of that is definitely an evolution in screenwriting and like Mm -hmm. writing characters to be able to explain and process their mental health more and like just what's been more of a trend. 
But that's also what was happening with the first Incredibles. Like, that's how mm. their relationship has been. And this didn't miss a beat with the family dynamics. Even if they changed up the family, not the family dynamics, but the focus of the family a little bit. Like, I feel like there was a lot more Violet in Incredibles 2 than mm-hmm. the first one. I I think the first one tried to feature a little more Dash, like, becoming braver and understanding how his powers were working. But I love mm-hmm. what they were doing with Violet in this. I thought her, her plotline, even though it is kind of less consequential than the rest of the movie, I thought it was just a fun little comedic side thing. And, like, yeah, it's a teen, it's a family of superheroes, so, like, this is a traditional family thing. It just happens to involve invisibility and mind erasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that too, like the dealing with the family dynamic stuff. And again, this is something I have dealt with myself. Like there are times, you know, my wife is still on maternity leave. So usually she'll be home mm-hmm. taking care of the kids and then and I'll be at work. And then when I come home, like sometimes she's burnt out and like you know she just needs to she just needs a break so it's like okay i'm gonna take the kids i'm we're gonna put them in the car and we're just and i'm just gonna drive them somewhere so that you can have just like you know some time to yourself or it's like you know what go out go go take a drive yourself go do whatever you want to do and then i'll just stay home with the kids so you know you and it's one of the things that i think this movie does very well is it does a really good job of showing just how difficult it is being a parent and being a parent solo too like it's it's a lot of work. It's, and you know, I could also relate to not so much to him helping out dash with his homework, but I could relate to the problems with, you know, how they had the change, the way that they, they teach math. And I remember, you know, when common oh, core got introduced, I, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I went through, I went through those exact conversations with my dad when I was a kid of him trying to teach me math and like us both not understanding the new way they were trying to teach it, which is, mm. you know, historically why I've never been good at math, not to blame <laughs> him, but yeah, I had, I had remember when they were complaining about uh, some, uh, some people I know who had, who, well, I wasn't a parent yet, but uh, some people I know who had kids right. who were going through this and, and I remember them talk complaining about common core and I was reading up a little bit on it. I'm like, okay, so it's different from the way that we were taught, but I don't know if that mess that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad because I think actually if I had learned math the way they're teaching it now, I might have, you know, been able to figure it out better because I was I always sucked at math myself. The way right. they taught it to me in school did not help me at all. But I can totally understand why, you know, you've got this thing, you've got this way to do things, and it's been drilled into your head, and then when you're your kid comes along. He's like, I need your help with this. And he's just like, and he's like, they, I don't know what they're doing here. This is completely different from memorizing multiplication tables or whatever it was. Yeah. And how frustrating it must be to be like, I have to teach my kid, but I have to learn at the same Mm -hmm. time as them or like only be a few steps ahead, which is, which has got to be rough. Like, I mean, I don't have kids yet, so like I can't fully relate to it, but like, it's, it's an understandable universal thing almost. I can relate to it to a, a small extent, um, not from a kid perspective, but just from a teaching perspective, because, um, mm-hmm. you know, I teach I teach English here at the university level in, in Japan, and I got asked to teach a um, uh, a class in dental English. I don't know okay. half the vocabulary they use in the dentist's office, so I was basically staying one chapter ahead of the students when I was teaching that class, and <laughs> And now I'm and I'm doing a, a medical English class too. And again, 
lot of the, there's a lot of vocabulary in there that I did not know when I started teaching the class. So that first semester, it was just me staying one step ahead of the kids. And I and I tell my students, I'm like, look, I might be pronouncing some of these words wrong because we don't use these in regular everyday English. Yeah, that's we we're not always talking about dentistry and doctor's appointments. Yeah, yeah. And and that can be that can be frustrating, right? When you're trying to just know enough to to stay a step ahead. Um and also for for someone like, you know, like Bob who is this classic hero archetype to have to say that I don't know how to do something is probably a really tough thing for him to do as well. Is probably is something I think that's also playing a role in that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about any other things that kind of jumped out at you with uh, this film? Um, I think it's it's neat that they like set the finale on a cruise ship. I feel like you don't see that too often in superhero movies. Like that's just, mm. oh, okay, cool. We're doing something a little bit different. Uh, it was a little disappointing again after watching the original for so long to jump directly into the underminer fight and then have it kind of just end with him getting away. And it's like, Oh, we waited that long to see the family beat up this guy. And he just is fine. Like he Mm -hmm. gets the money and leaves. Yeah. Like that little disappointing, but it's, I think a big part of the first, especially with the first time I saw this movie in theaters was I spent, so much of the movie thinking about the little short film that was before it instead of really engro- uh, engaging and like being engrossed by this movie because like how Pixar always has their little short films beforehand the one that this one was was really good it was just strange uh what was have you ever seen that short called no no bow? I didn't even know about that yeah it's it's called bow and like not to give a lot of it away but it's uh I believe she's a Chinese American woman and she uh, is making bao buns for her husband and she's sad about something you don't know. And then one of the little bao dumplings comes to life and she raises it as a son. And things continue to happen that like there one thing happens in it that shocked our entire (laughs) audience both times I saw it and that was just stuck in my head for this entire movie. So every time something cool was happening and like something interesting would happen, I'd be like, yeah, but the lady's son was a dumpling. How about that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've never seen that. I'll have to, I'll have to check that out. Um, it is great. I think it's on Disney plus as well. What did you think about uh, Jack Jack and his, you know, burgeoning powers in this? It was it was cute. It was fun. It was a little, you know, you'd get little Tom and Jerry antics between him and the raccoon every so often to like cool down with the plot a little bit, make sure the kids in the audience are entertained. But like he's fun. I think it was interesting how they tried to pinpoint like a certain amount of powers and like a certain order they would go in. Mm-hmm. But then they would just throw new stuff in every so often. It's like, okay, so he can just do whatever. <laughs> and like, I remember the original where, you know, at the end, Syndrome takes him up in the air and he like turns metal, turns on fire, becomes the demon baby. Mm-hmm. And they had a little short after that 
came out of like him discovering his powers and torturing the babysitter with them by accident. And this was essentially more of that little short film, but it was, uh, it was like, Oh, okay. The baby has a lot of potential. That's why he has all the different powers. Mm-hmm. But then in this, they're like, Oh yeah, no babies usually only have one or two powers. He just has a bunch. He's just special. And I'm like, I feel like we should think more about that. I don't know. Like a baby with unlimited powers is always kind of nerve wracking. And like that could play into the nerve wracking of a parent being like, what if I screw up my kid? Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know. I feel like it was a fun thing to do, but it could have been more. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point too, like that idea about, you know, you know, kids having too much power before they're ready. I mean, that is a real concern that parents have like in you know powers not necessarily power per se but just the idea of them trying to do things before they're ready to do stuff like you know my son just started walking a few months ago and it it, it's nerve-wracking when they start walking because now they can go places that previously were very easy to to keep them out of my daughter is you know she loves climbing on stuff she has scaled every single baby proofing gate we have bought (laughs) And now my son's going to be getting there too. And so, and that is nerve wracking. Cause like, you know, everyone talks about how when they're newborns, they need a lot of attention when they're new- newborns. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, it's easy. Like you just, you, the, you feed them when they, you feed them, you change them, you put them back down and then you're good for like the next three hours. Then three hours later, you do the same thing again. And it's just like, it's just a very set routine you go through. But when they're toddlers, right. you got to watch them like a hawk because Next thing you know, if you take your eyes off them for a few minutes, next thing you know, you hear someone screaming and you go in and, you know, he's got his hand stuck in a box or something like that, or they're beating each other up or whatever the case is. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's definitely a big part of it. And yeah, so I that that was such a great thing that they threw in there. And also, too, I, I got a chuckle out of the cookies trigger the demon baby thing, because that is so true, yeah. because. When my son wants a cookie, if he doesn't get a cookie, he is going to scream his fucking head off until you give him that damn cookie. Yeah, no, I there's there. You can definitely feel like the elements of relatability that they put into, especially Jack Jack's mm-hmm. uh, story, well, character arc, I guess, storyline, whatever you want to call it. But uh, yeah, I, I'm totally with you, though. I think that the the main plot line, I think it, I think one of the the big issues with this and why these, and I don't know how Brad Bird was going to do this, but he said he had a bunch of other plot lines that he had to drop from the film. Mm. I don't know where he would have put those in because he barely had enough space to cover the, the main plot lines that he was trying to do in what we got. Yeah. It from a lot of, uh, behind the scenes stuff that I've like heard about Brad Bird as like a director he seems like he's very intense and has a lot of big ideas and is like, mm-hmm. I am going to like put everything I can until this thing is ready to burst and is perfect. Mm-hmm. And I can really see, especially with the amount of time between the two Incredibles movies, him like really just putting a bunch of stuff on paper and being like, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, like this is going to be great. Mm-hmm. I do remember hearing somewhere... And I don't know where it, like, if it was confirmed anywhere or not, that they got far, kind of far in, like, some kind of robot story with this. 
and then had to scrap it for something. I don't know where did that go. Where okay. where I heard that though. Um, yeah, it might have been because of the because of the long delay between movies, and and then you know because mm-hmm. I, I think the the fact that the MCU blew up also gave him some other stuff to to comment on too that he wanted to do. Um, I did think it was. Uh, I did think it was interesting that they they didn't utilize that big gap in time between releases. This basically picks up right after where the first one left off. Um, yeah, you know, and he said that he didn't he didn't want to use like an ellipsis or anything like that to come up with new characters um, or to deal with Violet and Dash being adults. He and he wanted to keep Jack Jack as a baby and all that. Um, and I thought that was. You know, it was it was not a bad choice, right? I'm not gonna say it's a bad choice, but what do you think? Do you think it this works better picking up right after the first one, or would you think? Do you think it might have been more interesting to utilize that big gap in time? Didn't have to be the full 14 years, but to like pick up like 10 years or even five years after where the first one left off. I it's tough, you know, because you want like you want the teenage girl dynamic to still be there with violet and the way the family unit is set up is great but at the same time you want to see like how does jack jack evolve Mm -hmm. like how if he is i think they call him a polymorph in the movie if he does have all of these abilities does that like affect him as a child, as a teenager, going through all of this, knowing that he's got more powers and like could be the most powerful one in the family? It, I don't know. I think I'm okay with it being immediately after. Like maybe a year or two time jump would have been good, but mm-hmm. the biggest issue with it being so soon after the original is after the first one you had that moment at least in the audience of we know jack jack has powers that's hilarious let's move on mm-hmm. but then you have to go through it again in this one as the rest of the characters discover it yeah yeah i had a, that there cuz it cuz it's been a while since i saw the first one so when you know bob finds out that jack jack has powers i was just like wait didn't we already know this cuz the movie does play it like it's a big revelation and for Bob, it is. But for us, I remember, you know, that my memory was like, wait, I thought he had powers in the first one, too. So so, yeah, that was one thing that I'm just like, it feels like we're kind of retreading the same ground here a little bit. Um, and another thing that's interesting is that Brad Bird said he was inspired for Jack Jack being a polymorph because of the idea about how infants can understand many different languages. Right. Like when, right. when a child is born they can replicate all the sounds in all the languages. And then as they key in on one language from their, from their parents and the people around them, the other sounds that they're able to produce, they just kind of like fall to the fall into the background because they, the brain doesn't need to keep those connections alive. So, so it just focuses right. on strengthening the connections that need to be there. And, you know, I see this with my daughter. She's talking, she's starting to talk now, you know, she's, mm. And she's in a bilingual household, so she can understand both English and Japanese. She can replicate sounds in both languages. And for for kids who grew up bilingual, you can you can hear it when they speak like, you know, they that's that's why, you know, 
my my father was my father was British, but I didn't. But because I grew up in America, I went to American schools. I didn't pick up his British accent. If I had only right. been around him the whole time, then I would have. So, so that's another idea too. I was wondering about the polymorph aspect. Do these powers remain with him? Does he kind of key in on like one set of powers? That was one of the questions that I was interesting in seeing explore a little bit. Which I think a a time jump both could have helped, or maybe that's something that'd be better saved for like a, a potential Incredibles three. Yeah, and I, I can, I, I feel like an Incredibles three could happen. It really depends on the rest of Pixar's originals. If they keep doing not as well as they hoped at the box office, then like, mm. there, there's a good chance out of desperation. Similar to when this was announced, because it was after a, not exactly a fallow period, but like people weren't as into like brave and some of the originals that were being pumped out. It was like a lot of sequels in a row. Cause they were mm-hmm. like, we just need guaranteed money makers. Yeah. I could see an Incredibles three happening like within the next couple of years, but we'll see. And also Brad birds off doing some other animated project that he's been trying to make since the late nineties at Apple, I think. So oh, okay. we'll see what happens. Yeah. And um, so yeah, uh, yeah, speaking about uh, Incredibles three, like you know, Bird said that Pixar's decision to swap the release date for Toy Story four and Incredibles two mm-hmm. cost him a full year of production. So he said that he had, he, like again, he had all these other plot lines that he wanted to use, and he said that those could be used in a third film. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson said that he's um, he's definitely uh, down for coming back. Um, yeah, because Samuel L. Jackson sounds like he's having so much fun in these. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, especially after, you know, Secret Invasion, he'd probably want to do something that's a bit more fun. Uh, oh, God. Something that's actually a little bit engaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can talk about that uh, <laughs> another time. But, um, yeah. But also, I, this, there's this article I have, and this is from the direct. This is from May of this year, and, it's, and it says that uh, The Incredibles 3 is more likely than ever before. I don't know this. This mostly seems like um, it just seems like an article just rehashing the the previous stuff and just speculation on it. Um, right. I think it'd be great to see. And if, you know, the cast all wants to return and this could be a way to, you know, utilize some time and like age up the characters a little bit and, you know, see how things play out when Dash goes from being like a super energetic uh, little kid to like you know, um, uh, you know, see him as a teenager, not one who wants to disappear like Violet does, but maybe he wants the mm. attention of being, of being like the fastest guy in school or something like that. Or, um, and yeah, yeah, they they do hint at that in the original when he's doing when he's doing the race at the end, they're all mm-hmm. cheering for him to go fast but not too fast. Like he has a show offy personality. How is that gonna? affect their secret identities in when he's in high school which is it is interesting that like these movies have them wear the masks and everything but they don't Mm -hmm. really play on the secret identity discovery thing especially this one it's kind of just it's just like yeah they they're superheroes well also too like you know violet and dash they don't have like any superhero names either as far as i can see Mm -hmm. yeah they're just the incredible kids Mm-hmm. like yeah so yeah i think that that would be something else that would be um 
interesting to see too, like as, because if you age them up, like, you know, Violet going off to, to college or, you know, graduating college, like, because mm-hmm. she didn't seem as keen on the hero thing. She's someone who likes to disappear in the background. Does she still want to be um, a superhero, right? Does she want to do something else with her life? Uh, that's right. something else you could play with too. Um, yeah, there's a lot of possible, there's a lot of story opportunities if you age them up and see where that explores because that's another thing with a lot of superhero stuff is you don't often see those stories because you have to keep them within that like you know 20 to 40 age range so that they can you know they just have that continuity right yeah 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 so you know the whole idea that stanley talked about of you have to have the only thing you do is you do the illusion of change and eventually you got if it goes too far you got to do um retcons or reboots or have a crisis event or whatever it might be um and with something like this you can play around with time especially because you're not tied to the characters looking a certain way or you're you're not being forced to like age them up too fast you can since it's all animation you could play with them however you want so i think there's there's some different as- avenues you could explore with that that would be interesting to see right yeah and an elderly edna mode would be very funny yes absolutely i definitely <laughs> want to see that <laughs> yeah i it's one of those things that, like, I don't need a third one. I'm, like, perfectly happy with just having these two. But if they make one, I'll be excited for it. I'll check it out. Honestly, what I really want to see, though, and this is not at all likely now, but for the longest time, I wanted to see Brad Bird direct a Superman movie. Um, now we're getting James uh, Gunn he... doing it. So, But Brad Bird would have been amazing directing a Superman movie. He really would. There's there's so many things with Brad Bird where they he got close to doing them and he said no. He was apparently when Force Awakens was first announced, he was apparently the first call from Lucasfilm. They called Brad Bird and was like, do you want to do Star Wars Episode 7? And he said, absolutely not, which breaks my heart because yeah. that would have I think about that every so often of like that would have been incredible to yeah. not to, you know, pardon the pun, but. No, yeah, I, that I I had never heard about that, but that he and you know, I liked Force Awakens, you know, well enough, but yeah. and I and I, I actually did, I I did the Last Jedi a lot, and um, Last Skywalker is the one it's that my... completely yeah, um, but yeah. you know, but Brad Bird, if he had directed the Force Awakens, I think that would have been because he he's someone who been. can take these ideas and present them like he did with Ghost Protocol, right? He took this franchise mm-hmm. that was kind of a little bit tired at that point, right? I mean, Mission Impossible 3 was good, but it didn't really light the world on fire. And, you know, the second one was yeah. just, you know, god-awful. So he came in with Ghost Protocol, and he just completely reinvented that franchise and resurrected it, essentially. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, he I, and Chris McQuarrie were there, like, this is a Tom Cruise franchise, and we need to show him being not like a normal guy. That was the big problem with Mission Impossible 3 was so much of him was trying to be a normal guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it it worked out brilliantly and and that redefined mm. the franchise going forward now and it's why it's been continued to be so su- successful. So like I mean, I think he should have I'm I'm very I'm very excited for Superman Legacy. I'm very glad that James Gunn is doing it, but that that still oh, yeah, feels like a missed opportunity for me. Um but honestly, like I don't know what's going on with Marvel's Fantastic Four movie, but why have they not called up Brad Bird is what I want to know. Because he, (laughs) 
like you said, everybody, the joke is that The Incredibles is the best Fantastic Four movie ever made. And they're not wrong. So why don't you give that guy a call? It's it's it might be one of those things where maybe they thought about it, but or they maybe they talked to him and he flat out went, I already did that. Like, I already have done the family dynamic with superheroes twice now. And like, I would rather do it with characters I love than be put into this machine where whatever I do, it'll still have executive producer Kevin Feige oversight mm. fingerprints on it. And that's a good point, too. Like, it it could very much very well be that he's like, I, I did the family stuff. If I want to do more family mm. stuff, I can do it with my characters and I can have more freedom doing what I want. So that's that's definitely understandable, too. Um, but man, that would be the perfect choice. Well, like, yeah, and yeah, you can do the family stuff with your own characters if you want, but you could also do it with a big rock monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, right. Any other things you want to mention about Incredibles 2? I don't know if I have anything else specific. Uh, I think the idea of the screen slaver is interesting and tries to like do commentary on phones and like these darn kids got to get off their iPads. Mm-hmm. But it again, kind of falls apart when it focuses more on Evelyn, but it's like, you know, it was interesting. They definitely tried something. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, there's some little attempts here at that social commentary stuff that they're good ideas. Like you said, the screen slaver idea and the idea that, you know, people are so fixed on their phones. The idea that we're too reliant on superheroes, that being like a, a commentary on, on Hollywood mm-hmm. and, you know, the over-reliance on like the, on superhero movies and the, and franchises in general. Um, and then also the, like you mentioned before, the, the idea of, you know, what good is a law if it stops people from being themselves and that being very relevant now with like the anti-trans stuff that's going on in yeah, places like Florida and say, Texas. There's stuff going on in Florida that's not that's not good. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think part of it is when this movie w- would have been in production, that stuff was still very nascent, right? It wasn't as, you know, mm-hmm. prominent as it is now. But that's an idea that really kind of struck me when i'm watching this movie it's like that that's something worth exploring a little bit more but it's just it's just dropped after that one conversation and they never kind of pick up that ball again so that was a little bit disappointing yeah yeah it's they like screenslaver has his whole monologue of like you don't play games you watch game shows you don't talk to your families you watch talk shows and like it's so specifically TV oriented because this Incredibles world is like pseudo 50s, 60s era stuff. But like it's, I, it's, yeah, I do think it's interesting how the Screen Slavers whole thing is you don't talk to your families, you watch shows, you don't uh, play games, you watch game shows, and it's so TV focused because the Incredibles world is like Art Deco 60s ish and yeah that you're right that's that's another interesting idea and it's just it, it it's another one of those ideas yeah that I there's think. definitely something there about escapism in general and how it's with our amount of content constantly being pushed out nowadays superhero or not that like there is a bit of a dependence on it but there, we don't have time to get into all that because we have to watch the baby fight a raccoon 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, see, I think that's a good way to, to sum it up. Like, it's it's not a it's it's a good movie. I I enjoyed it a lot, but you know, on reflection, solid. yeah, very solid movie. Uh, it's a very solid sequel. And on reflection, there are these things that you know just don't quite work as well as I think we would have liked them to work. But um, mm-hmm. it's still a solid movie overall. Yeah, good, but a little frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, that's a good that's a good note to end on. So, Connor, why don't you tell people uh, where they can find your stuff? Absolutely. So uh, you can listen to No Highway Option. We release new episodes every Tuesday and follow us anywhere at No Highway Pod. If you want some, you know, some nonsensical Vin Diesel comparison fun uh, movies that we've done recently that kind of tie into The Incredibles, uh, our first episode ever was about zoom uh tim allen's movie where he teaches superhero children that's not very good um (laughs) we talk about a movie where a baby has unlimited power with son of the mask recently uh i'm trying to think we haven't really covered that many superhero movies because we have the guests assign us movies so we don't automatically pick our Mm. favorites so it's been an interesting it's been an interesting ride uh if you want to check us out wherever you get podcasts yeah we that's kind of the approach I try to take here too. So that, and it's, it, it's kind of funny. The, the choices you'll get from people, like um, you'll get some, you'll get like people requesting like the big ones, but also mm-hmm. get people requesting some very off the wall choices. So it, it's definitely been, uh, it's a cool experience when you let the guests kind of pick the, the movies themselves. Yeah. Within the past couple of months, we've gone from the matrix and cloud Atlas to the Winnie the Pooh slasher movie. How was that, by the way? We still have to watch it, but I'm absolutely dreading it. Okay. Oh, so you haven't done it yet? Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I'm. I, I I follow public domain stuff a lot, and there's been a lot of mm. gnashing of teeth about that in the public domain communities. <laughs> All the Winnie the Pooh stuff now is what if it was messed up and twisted, and it's like, what if you just made it fun and cute like it's supposed to be? It's really frustrating. Mm. um but anyway well thanks so much for coming on and uh thank you so much for having me yeah and everybody make sure to to check out uh connor's show and as for us we are superhero cinephiles.com is the website super cinema pod on instagram and blue sky technically still on twitter as well although i'm not over there that much since elon musk is a is a fascist psychopath um so i'm gonna be more on blue sky these days so if you want to get in touch with me blue sky or instagram are probably the best places or you know through the website and through the contact form and all that um also you can make sure to sign up for the uh the Patreon page for as little as a dollar a month, you get these episodes in advance. Plus you also get access to superhero cinephiles book club, where about once a month we talk about comic books and graphic novels. And I have a comic book out as well. So Paragons of earth it's at the time of this recording, it's still in the crowdfunding stage, but um, hopefully by the time you guys listen to this, the crowdfunding will have been completed. It will have been made available, uh, would have met its goals, but you can still purchase it. It's still going to be available at crowdfunder.com slash paragons comic that's crowdfunder without an e um dot com slash paragons comic that link will be in the show notes links to connor's show will also be in the show notes um thanks so much for listening and we will talk to you next time 
Thanks for listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. Superhero Cinephiles is produced by me, Percival Constantine, with the support of Zencaster. The show is created by myself and the late, great Derek Ferguson, our host Emeritus. Visit us on the web at SuperheroCinephiles.com to listen to past episodes or find out how you can be a guest yourself. Support the show by visiting our advertiser links or click the Buy Me a Coffee link on the website to make a one-time donation. You can also support us by visiting crowdfunder.com slash paragonscomic. That's crowdfunder with no E dot com slash paragonscomic and help support my superhero comic book, Paragons of Earth. We are Super Cinema Pod on both Instagram and Blue Sky, so please be sure to follow us. We'd also appreciate if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and share us with your friends.